we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How many like to read missionary biographies? I like to read missionary biographies. Uh, I was reading recently about David Brainerd. Of course, David Brainerd was one of the uh, first American missionaries to work on American soil. He was born in Connecticut in the early 1700s. He worked uh, to reach the Native Americans there in the Northeast United States. Died at the ripe old age of 29 uh, from what they called consumption back then. I guess you'd call it tuberculosis today. But it's interesting, the last 19 weeks of David Brainerd's life were spent in the home of a famous New England theologian by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Actually, uh, Brainerd was engaged to one of Edwards' daughters. He never would be married to her because he would go on to heaven. But David Brainerd, in the short time that he worked with the Native Americans in America, left an incredible diary. He kept a meticulous diary, and when when, uh, Jonathan Edwards picked up that diary and began to read it, He was so impacted by the faithfulness of David Brainerd and the labor labor that uh, he just uh, pursued there as he tried to reach the Native Americans that he sat down and he wrote a little book. And the title of that book was The Life and Diary of David Brainerd. Now let's fast forward 40 years. 40 years later, that little book, The Life and Diary of David Brainerd, ends up in the hands of a of an English preacher, and that English preacher will read that little book several times over, and he will surrender to missions to go to India. Now, it was was the mid-1700s when he surrendered to go to India, and it's interesting, that man's name was William Carey, the father of modern-day missions. Now, Now, when I read about all that and I start connecting the dots, here's what I'm thinking. I wonder what it was that motivated those men to do what they did way back in those days. What was it that motivated them? Maybe what we need to do tonight, we need to ask probably the greatest missionary outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ask the Apostle Paul. Hey, Paul, what motivated you? What motivated you to do what you did? To keep going during opposition and to to reach those cities and communities because actually when you think about the Apostle Paul's life, I mean from the moment that he was struck down on the Damascus Road until his life ended in that Roman prison, he had one goal and that goal was to reach everyone he came in contact with with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, Paul, what motivated you? And I believe believe his answer would be 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And then notice with me verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. For just a few moments tonight, I'd like to, I'd like to address this topic, motivation for missions. Motivation for missions. Let's pray. Father, tonight... As we gather here in your house around your word with your people, 
Lord, I pray tonight that you take this simple message and, and Lord, use it in the, our lives tonight to keep us motivated in an hour, dear Lord, where people desperately need the gospel. Lord, I pray for our country tonight. I, I, I absolutely love America. Lord, you know that I love my homeland. I was born here. But Lord, so many need to hear, uh, Lord, the, the message of the gospel tonight in America and around the world. And Lord, I pray tonight that we would be motivated in this hour. Help us, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture now, and we'll pray in Jesus' name and we'll ask it for his sake. Amen. You know, when Paul said, the love of Christ motivates me, Actually, what he was saying was constraineth, but a modern-day word would be the word motivate. You know, motivate's an interesting word. If you look it up in the dictionary, there's probably three to four meanings depending on the dictionary that you're using, but sometimes you can look up the meaning of a word and you really don't, you know, you really can't even grasp what that word means. And so uh, I guess motivate is one of those words. It would rather, it would be better to maybe uh, demonstrate than define the word motivate. So as you think about this passage tonight where, where Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us, think about the word motivate, the word motivate. Um, I guess an illustration would be handy here. I was, we were restarting a church in Alice, Texas several years ago. And when we restart churches, we normally bring in a number of sister churches to help us kind of restart the church and pass out a lot of gospel literature. And so one Saturday morning, all the groups came in. We had a short devotion. We had a few refreshments and so forth. And then all the groups went out to distribute literature. And I found myself in the auditorium of, of Grace Baptist Church. It was down in Alice, Texas. And uh, I, was, I was there by myself. So I thought, well, I'll just grab a map and a box of literature. And uh, I went out to the north side of Alice, Texas, and I parked in the middle of the block, and I started distributing literature and looking for an opportunity maybe to share the gospel. And uh, as I was turning the corner, I saw something I, I really didn't want to see. I saw a pack of dogs. Now, I'm a dog lover, amen, but I like dogs one dog at a time. And, uh, and I, I felt led of the Lord to get back to my car, preacher, and so I, I'm running back to my car, and it's never pretty when a man over 60 runs, amen, but... I'm running back to my car, and I'm hitting my clicker, and I'm praying, Lord, help, help me get the door open. And all of that activity actually caught the, caught the attention of the lead pack dog, and he, he was glad to share the news with his buddies, and now the race was on. And uh, I got to the car before they did, fortunately, but the lead pack dog, he was, uh, he was frustrated, I guess, that he had not had a chance to partake of me, and so he started jumping up on the side of the car and barking and chewing on my rearview mirror. And, and I put it in drive and I got out of there. I thought I can cover this block later. Hey, I was motivated, amen? I was highly motivated. Now, if we're gonna be motivated in this matter of missions, ladies and gentlemen, to reach our neighbors in this nation and the world, we're gonna need something to motivate us, not just this week or not just this month, but, you know, we need something to keep us motivated until Jesus comes or until we go to be with him. And I want you to see some motivating factors here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight in verse 8. Look with me, first of all. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, For we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And from verse 1 in chapter 5 
All the way down to verse 8, Paul's talking about, hey, one day, if the Lord tarries, you and I are going to be out of this tabernacle. We're, we're going to have a, a, a new building, a new tabernacle, not made with hands. One day as born-again believers, if the Lord tarries, what happens? We will breathe our last breath. We'll take our last step. And the Bible, I'm so glad the Bible says here, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So one of the motivating factors here concerning missions is the motivating fact of a real literal place, a place called heaven. I'm so glad that this is not all there is, amen? I am so glad that, that we are headed for that wonderful place filled with God's glory and grace, the place called heaven. And, uh, you know, if we're headed to that wonderful place, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior tonight, you know, that, that, that ought to motivate us to pray like we need to pray and to give like we ought to give and to, uh, and to go like we need to go. I, I think about heaven and I think about all those things that won't be there. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 4, that, that God is going to wipe away all tears, no more tears in heaven. Hang around this life any amount of time, what happens? Our eyes fill with tears because of things that take place in our lives or the lives of those we love. Circumstances are such where we live this life through what? A veil of tears. I'm so glad the Bible says there'll be no more tears there. The Bible says no more death. Hey, down here, death is our enemy. It separates us from those we love and those we've fellowshiped with in the local church, but no more death. Hey, the Bible also says no more pain. No more pain. And so tonight, as you think about that, one day as born-again believers, you know what? We'll be in that wonderful place. And if we're sensitive at all to this matter of, of reaching the lost, then you know, if we're headed for that wonderful place, then you know what? It ought to be a motivating factor for us to get out and, and try and do what we can for the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another motivating fact here. It's the motivating fact of accountability. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. If we're going to be used of God when it comes to missions and praying for missionaries and supporting missionaries and sending missionaries, you know what? We have to take into account this matter of accountability. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, you know and I know, Paul was writing this. He's a Christian. He's speaking to Christians, and he's saying what? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Hey, one day, I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to have to give an accounting. Say, what are you going to be accountable for, Brother Bob? Well, I'm going to be accountable for every opportunity the Lord gave me to serve him. I, I'm going to be accountable for the money he allowed me to earn. I, I believe I'll be accountable uh, for, uh, for the opportunities that, that he gave me along the way. I'll be accountable for the talents that he may have given me. You know, uh, when you think about it, I'm accountable to God for absolutely everything that he's put in my hands. Everything we have came from the Lord, and one day you and I are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll have to give an account and, uh, you know, I'm glad we won't have to stand before the Lord for him to determine if we're going to enter into heaven because, ladies and gentlemen, that's determined in this life. That's determined while we're living and breathing and walking upon this earth. That's why the Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Church planting runs deep in my life. 
You see, I didn't hear the gospel till I was 28 years old. And uh, a church planter came to, my, came to my town. I was working for a Milwaukee radio station, and uh, I didn't know the Lord. I, I had never heard any Bible preaching in my life, but, but through the ministry of that church plant and through the ministry of that church planter, my mother-in-law, who lived in that same town, she came to know the Lord. And then my father-in-law came to know the Lord. And then my wife, Judy, who's now in heaven, she came to know the Lord, and, and finally Bob came to know the Lord. And I'll never forget the night that I realized that I was lost. You remember that day when, when the Holy Spirit revealed to you that you were lost? That was a sobering day. That was a sobering evening for me. It was a Sunday night service, and I walked out of that service realizing I was lost. Went home, tried to bargain with God. God, I can't get saved. <laughs> Lord, you, you don't know all the things I've done. Well, he knew everything I had done. And in the early morning hours of the next day, I, I remember kneeling and saying, Lord, I don't even know what being a Christian is, but I know several things. Number one, I know I'm a sinner. For your word says that I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and I, I know that there's a price to pay for that sin. I know the wages of sin is death. And Lord, I know that means more than just dying with a cancer or dying with a gunshot wound. That means separation from you. Lord, I know for a fact that you love me because our preacher read that verse and it said, for God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son. And right here and now, as best I know how, Lord, I want you to be my savior. You see, salvation is something we take care of in this life while we're living and breathing and walking upon this earth. But you know, there will come a day where we will give that account. I wondered, I was talking with a friend of mine, we wondered, the Bible really doesn't explain how that'll happen. I know it will happen. Will we be standing in a group? Will we be standing in line? I, I imagine standing in line and listening to people giving their account. I imagine standing in line there at the judgment seat of Christ and right in front of me there's a gentleman giving his accounting and he talks about how as a young boy he came to know the Lord Jesus as his personal savior. He went to a small, small country church and he, he found out that he needed to be saved and he was saved and later on he found out he, he uh, he, he really was being called to serve the Lord in some capacity. And so he surrendered to missions and he prayed for a godly wife and God gave him a godly wife. I'm standing there listening to this all. He talks about going to a very obscure place where the gospel had not been preached much and there was much darkness, but he just faithfully preached the word of God day in and day out, week in and week out. And finally, a man stayed after the service. A small crowd gathered and a man stayed after the service one Sunday and asked the missionary to tell him more about his Jesus. And that man was saved. And then that man brought another family. And then, and then that family brought another family. A little church was organized and, and folks were baptized and a church was started. And then one day, one of the men that had been saved right at the beginning came to the missionary and said, you know, I believe God is calling me to pastor a church. And so that missionary faithfully trained that man and 
there at his kitchen table day after day, week after week, and the missionary's wife worked with that man's wife to get them ready to go pastor. And they went out and they started another church. And from that church, another church was planted. And from those churches, more churches were planted. And he talked about all of that. And I'm standing there hearing it. And then I hear these words, next. And it's my turn. You know, on that day, the books will be opened, will they not? I'm so glad that uh, when we're saved, our name goes down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And by the way, it doesn't go down in pencil, amen? It goes down in permanent ink. I believe the Bible will be open that day. I believe one of the questions will probably be, now what part did you play to get the gospel to your neighbors and your nation and the world? Hey, Paul, what motivated you? What kept you going in this matter of reaching the lost and doing your missionary work? And I I believe Paul would say without a doubt, if he stood here tonight, he'd he'd say, you know what? I, I knew I was headed for that wonderful place, the place called heaven, and I knew there was coming a day where I would give an accounting. There's another motivating factor. Quickly, let's look at it tonight. It's there actually in verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I want you to notice that word persuade tonight. Just as there's a literal eternal heaven awaiting every believer, the Bible is clear there's a literal eternal hell awaiting every unbeliever. You have a mother that's lost tonight, a father that's lost, maybe a son, a daughter. You have a grandchild that's lost? Do you have someone you dearly love that's lost tonight? Do you believe tonight that the heathen are really lost if they never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive Jesus as their Savior? If I were to pass out a piece of paper tonight, two questions on the paper, all you have to do is circle yes or no. Question number one, do you believe in a literal eternal heaven? Yes or no, and probably everyone, 99% tonight in here would circle yes. Why? Because this is a Bible-believing church. The doctrine of heaven is a Bible truth. It's a Bible doctrine. Question number two, do you believe in a literal eternal hell? Yes or no? And again, probably 99% of us would circle yes. Why? Because of the same reasons. The trouble, ladies and gentlemen, is that this matter of a literal eternal hell, when it comes to missions, it needs to hit our hearts every once in a while. You see, we can give mental assent to many things in the Christian life. And we can check off the boxes and we can, we can talk about Bible doctrines and, and you know they become facts. But every once in a while, that fact of a literal eternal hell needs to hit our hearts or we'll never be used like we could be used. We'll never be able to give like we could give. We'll never be able to go like we need to go. We'll never be able to share like we could share. At age 28, when I was saved, you know what my first reaction was? My first reaction was, this is great. You mean mean the Lord has forgotten about all my past sin? This is wonderful. You know what my next reaction was? I have to tell somebody. I I left radio when I was saved because I couldn't play that music. I went to work in a plastics plant. 
And I was working with a guy, his name was Roger, and I had such a burden for Roger. I wanted Roger to be saved. I, I, I wanted him to know what I was experiencing. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted him to, to know what, what I had uh, found. And so, so I'd bring him gospel tracts. And I, I didn't know much about sharing the gospel back then. And so I, I would just take those tracts and I would put them on his workbench and I'd put them in his toolbox. And, and, uh, and I'd walk by his workstation. They'd be on the ground. I'd pick them up. I'd put them back on his workbench. I'd put him in his toolbox. One day, I walked by, and he's reading one of those tracks. And I walked up behind him. I said, Roger, what do you think about that? And he said, Bob, I've got a lot of questions. And I thought, uh-oh, I don't have any answers. And then I remembered we had a man coming to our church, and he was going to preach an evangelistic meeting. And I said, hey, Roger, there's a man coming Sunday, and he's going to preach all week long, and he'll answer all your questions. Whew, I got out of that. Amen. Well, Sunday came. He didn't come. Monday came, he didn't come. I, I just kept on inviting him. I said, Roger, he's only here till Friday night. You have to come. Guess who walked in Thursday night? Roger, Roger Hood. Whew. Remember what it was like when you were first saved and you invited somebody to come to church and they came? Wow, that's a source of joy for an entire week. And then if they make a decision, some type of spiritual decision, that's a source of joy for an entire month. And you know what you were doing way back then when you first got saved and you'd invite your friends and your relatives to come to church and you knew they were unsaved and the invitation was being played. You knew what you were doing. You were praying and asking God to work in their hearts. And I was, I was praying for Roger. I said, Lord, I want Roger to have what I have. And I looked up and guess who was standing down front? Roger. Speaking to the evangelist. And, and that night, Roger trusted Christ as his Savior. You know what I did the next day? I went back to work and I said, all right, who's next here? Who's next? You know what I catch myself praying now 40-some years later? I catch myself praying this a lot. Lord, give me a burden for people today like I had for old Roger back there 40 years ago. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the fact of a literal eternal hell needs to hit our hearts or we'll never be used of God like we could be used of God. When I think about worldwide evangelization, when I think about America, 328 million people this evening are growing at the rate of about 2.8 million people per year. Gallup says 70% of our population now has no meaningful church connection. That's a mission field of over 220 million people inside of our borders who are either unchurched, unsaved, or both. 80% of the teenagers in America tonight are not in any type of church. So good to see the young people here tonight and good to see their interest. And I, I thank God for that. But we are a massive mission field and we're growing that way more every day. All I'm saying tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is that we need to be motivated in this hour. And Paul talked about the fact of a heaven. He talked about accountability. He also mentioned the fact of a literal eternal hell, but there's one last thing, and let me give it to you. Notice with me, it's the text verse we used tonight as we started, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Oh, if we could just wrap our minds around that very fact every single morning, where we wake up in the morning and we can say, 
Today, I have a Savior that loves me. And he loves me unconditionally, and he's going to love me eternally, and he knows everything I'm facing, and I have a Savior that loves me. Now, Paul was not saying in this passage, he was not talking about what motivated him was the fact that, you know, he had this great love for Jesus. No, no, no. He was saying, what motivates me is his love for me, his love for me. I trust tonight that these simple things will help you, especially during this missions month. And uh, I really do believe tonight that in this hour, we have, we have the manpower, we have the resources to impact America and the world with the gospel. But let's stay motivated and ask God to help us in that regard. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.